Thanks, God, for being so incredibly good. Lord, I do thank you, Jesus, Messiah. Name above all names, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for the precious blood that washed away all our sins, God. Thank you that we can be called children of God. Lord, I thank you for the, this book, God, this letter that you've given us. And Lord, and you tell us in it, and you, you set the Apostle Paul that, that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, God. And you said that's our reasonable service. Lord, I pray tonight you give us the strength to do those things, to surrender our complete bodies a living sacrifice. I pray that you'd take this word and you'd teach it to us tonight and help us, God, to learn more about you, to serve you better. We love you, Father. We, we just want to be pleasing to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Last week, we were in chapter 12. We looked at the first five verses there in chapter 12, and we looked at our relationship with God, and we really just kind of ran out of time. Uh, I want to pick back up and still look a little bit at those same five verses, a little bit more in our relationship with God. But Paul also deals with our relationship with each other, and that was we didn't quite make it to that last week. So I'm hoping tonight to kind of finish up on the relationship with God and then get together brothers and sisters in Christ. He, uh, we're going to read the passage again. I know we read them last week, but I'm going to go ahead and read them again. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Paul says that surrendering our bodies to God's purpose ought to be a joy. We ought to desire to surrender ourselves to the will of the one that paid the price for him. God is not going to force himself on us. He did not force himself on us for salvation. He didn't come tracking me down. He sent somebody to invite me to church. He sent somebody to invite Greg to Judgment Journey. He sent somebody to invite all of you to something. He sent somebody to tell each and every one of us about Jesus Christ, the one that shed his blood, that there is a way to have all your sins washed away, to be forgiven, to be called a child of the king. He sent somebody. He made the invitation possible, and, and he made the gift free and presented it, but he didn't force himself on any of us. The same thing is true with his will as children of God. He's not going to force himself on us. He's not one of those high-pressure salesmen. Anybody ever pulled up on a sales lot and you really just saw a car look good? You wasn't interested in buying a car. You just turned in. All you want to do is stop and look at it for a minute. And before you know it, one of those salesmen come out and it's like you can't leave tonight until you bought this car. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever had one and they come out, well, they just wait, let me go get the keys. You got to drive it. No, buddy, you don't, you don't understand. You almost have to get ugly with them. But if you don't get out of the way, I'm just run over you. I just come in here to look. He, God's not a high-pressure salesman. He offered the gift. Here it is. But God has a will. And within his will, that is a plan for our life. And within that plan, when we fulfill that plan, he has rewards that we don't even know about. 
So all he really wants to do is just give us more than he already has when we've already got more than we could ever deserve. And all we have to do is do the will, do the things that he would have us to do. God doesn't ask for anything more than for us to do his will. But he expects nothing less. That's what he expects out of his children. Our desire should be to please God, period. Whatever God wants us to do, that ought to be our desire. Uh, to be honest, and I even say it praying a lot, nothing more, nothing less. Whatever God gives us to do, that's what it is that God wants us to do. When we are saved, we are transformed. We ought to be transformed. That might be a better way to say it. When somebody is truly saved, a transformed life ought to be an obvious example. There, there ought to be a difference. Everybody around us ought to know that there's something different. We ought to walk different. We ought to talk different. We ought to act different. If somebody says they got saved and they walk in and nobody noticed, something's not right. There ought to be something changes from the inside out that, that, that changes everything about us. Uh, you, you know, I've said it an awful lot of times, if nothing changed on the outside, then probably nothing changed on the inside. If they ain't done changed in the way we act, then probably nothing changed in, in the heart. So when we're saved, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. This, this becomes the temple that the Holy Spirit of God chooses to reside in. Doesn't have to chooses to so he moves inside we are to surrender complete control of this temple when we get saved we're supposed to be saved to the uttermost every nook every cranny every corner everything in my body ought to be surrendered to the holy spirit there shouldn't be any closets in here with locked doors there shouldn't be my little, well, I'm saved and this is good, but I got to keep this little pet sin. There shouldn't be any cabinets with Holy Spirit locks on them. Y'all got, got child locks on your cabinets? Y'all know what child locks are? That's adult proof. Y'all even can open that thing before you even think about it. It's hard for us to get in. We, we didn't ever have those. We just had, I'm going to tell you your backside up if you open that door, and that just it worked for me, so I figured it might work for mine. That there ought not be any cabinets in our life that's got Holy Spirit locks on them. Lord, leave that corner alone. That stuff I got on that shelf, don't worry about that stuff. No, when we get saved, we are to surrender everything that the Holy Spirit has complete control so that he can move in us. It should be our desire to let the Holy Spirit work in every area of our life, to clean up every area, to clean up our vocabulary, to clean up the places we go clean up the people that we talk to and hang around and all the things that we do. We need to surrender everything that the Holy Spirit might move in. It needs to be our desire to be changed. Again, God won't force that. That needs to be our will. It is God's desire to make us in the image of Christ. Paul says in verse number 2, to be not conformed to this world. Well, that word conformed there comes from a Greek word. It means to fashion alike to conform to the same pattern as, figuratively, to fashion self according to. All of our lives before we got saved, we were fashioned by the world. 
we all fit into that mold. We walked like the world. We talked like the world. We, we sounded, looked like, acted like the world because we were of the world. Of such were some of you. It's what I tell them. I, I, I'm still puzzled by that word some of you because I'm quite convinced that it could be all of you. But, but nonetheless, we all fit into that mold in the world. But when we became born again, we became new creatures in Christ. All things truly did pass away. Behold, all things became new. Anybody saved in here? Anybody different on the day after than you were the day before? Everything became new. Life became new. It's been a growing process from that day to this day to get to where we are, and Christ will continue to work on us and grow us. But everything became new. Therefore, we no longer fit in the old mold. We no longer fit in what it is that God rescued us out of, even though, though the world will constantly try to pull you back in it. When you first get saved, there, there's a automatic drag, an automatic pull, an automatic tug. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Your friends that you used to hang out with, they automatically start trying to pull you back into the mold. They, they start trying to reel you back in. They, they start trying to tell you that it's not real. What do you mean you got saved? Man, that's not real. Come on, man. Let's go so-and-so. Let's go this. They, they, they automatically start trying to fit you back into a mold that you no longer fit into. If, if we're truly saved, then everything's been changed. And then, then they, when it won't work, that they can't pull us back in, then they start ridiculing you. Anybody remember? Then they start making fun of you because now you become one of them goody two-shoes, holy rollers. I heard he goes to church. Yeah, right. We'll see how long that lasts. They, they begin to try to force the issue. When that doesn't work, they begin to separate themselves from you. That's why I say you don't have to separate yourself from that world. If you just start telling them about Jesus, they'll separate themselves from you. That We're, we're not of that mold anymore. We're not to be conformed into that image, a body that is presented a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, has no business in any type of worldly mold. There's nothing out there that we're supposed to be partaking in. We're supposed to be a living example of what Christ has done in us. It's not just the old way of life that's trying to pull us back, but society is always changing. Everything's always changing. When I was in school, it was bell-bottom jeans. I wished I would have kept those things. They, most of them were wore out good for nothing. I probably wore them to work. They had grease all over them, dirt all over them, holes wore in them, big old bell-bottoms. If I'd have kept them, they'd be worth $400 now. And we'd probably burn them in a fire. Everything cycles back around sooner or later. I'm telling you, my sister's probably got the right idea, and my wife's going to kill me for saying it because... My sister, well, can I, I shouldn't call you a hoarder, but she don't like throwing stuff away. I'll put it like that. But, but she's probably got a million dollars worth of old stuff, but she ain't never going to get rid of it. We all just packed up and keep it, but the world's always changing. 
the mold that the world has is always changing. But in that, that's always the lure even to the Christian. That's what the devil uses as his tackle box, if we're going to talk about fishing, to keep casting different lures out, to try to get us to nibble, to try to get us to bite. Things are always changing, and the world's always trying to pull us into that mold. But a body that is surrendered, a living sacrifice to God, cannot be pushed back into that mold. We, we have been redeemed by an unchanging God. We can't be changing every time fads change. We can't be changing every time society changes a little bit. We are filled with an unchanging Holy Ghost that is trying to shape us into the image of the Son of the living God to make us an example to a lost and dying world. Paul says, be not conformed into that. We, we ought to have a different set of morals. We ought to have a different set of standards. We ought to do some things different, act different, live different. We ought to have a clearly defined different attitude. We ought to have a clearly defined different attitude towards other people. The way we treat people ought to stand out different from the way the world treats people. And not just each other. Sure, we're going to treat each other with love and compassion. Well, Sure, we're supposed to. We're going to do a better job in here than, than are out there. But, but the Bible says, what have you done? Do not the Pharisees do the same? We, we ought to treat everybody different. That ought to be a visible aspect. That ought to be a mold that we're into. We're not to be molded by the standards of the world. We are to set a standard for the world. We, we, we ought to be different, and people ought to see that People just being around us, whether they're saved or not, ought to know that there's something different about us, even in the way we treat them, in the way we do business, in the honesty and integrity of the things that we say and the things that we do. There ought to be something different. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the, re by the renewing of your mind. We can't renew our actions if we don't renew the way we think. Obviously, it's driven by what we do upstairs, right? The Greek word here for transformed is a word that's where we get our English word metamorphosis. We only see it three other times in all the New Testament. Two times it's used. It's used in Matthew and Mark when it's used to describe the transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration. The other time is used by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, but we all with open face beholding of the glass in, the glory, in a glass, the glory of God, are changed. That's the same word. Now, right here, it's translated English word, changed. It's the same word that was translated transformed in our text. Changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we have the same word. You and I, at the moment of salvation, we were changed. I was. I expected amen out of somebody. We were changed. Let me cast another hook if I get amen. We're not what we were. We're different than we used to be. At the moment we got saved, we didn't gradually get changed. We're gradually growing. But at the moment we got saved, we were changed in an instant. Everything was different. The best illustration that we can think of a metamorphosis, of course, has got to be the caterpillar, right? 
There's not a, a better example of a metamorphosis, of a change. A caterpillar, this little bug, this slimy little bug, good fish bait, by the way, crawls into a cocoon. He, he's nothing but a little bug with little rubber-looking feet and some little bit of hairs, and he goes into that cocoon and stays, but when he comes out, he's a beautiful butterfly. He can fly. He's got all kind of brilliant colors. There's no resemblance to what he was when he went in. The reason it's a perfect illustration of you and I as Christians is because it's the same bug that went in that came out. It didn't change bugs, but it changed everything about the bug. Y'all don't like it because I'm referring to you as a bug, ain't you? It's the same me. We're the same ones that went into the salvation experience, but everything's different when we came out. We're to have a renewed Mind, There is absolutely no resemblance, at least there shouldn't be any resemblance whatsoever of what we were versus what we are. We should have gone in as a caterpillar and come out as a butterfly. We ought to be totally different, no resemblance to what we were prior to salvation. That's what happens to you and I. It is the renewing of the mind. It should change our mind. It should change our heart. It should change our attitude. It should change our, our desires, we take on a new image. It is God's desire to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Everything that he gives us to do, every assignment, everything when we're to be transformed, is all to be transformed into the image of Christ. Isn't it amazing that God could take something like, well, I have to say me because you may not feel that way about you, and, and God be fully convinced that he can make that like Christ. Who says God can't do anything? That is his desire to make us like Christ. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. That's not the only reason, but he gives us the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us. How many of you could not have broken a lot of the bad habits you had prior to salvation had the Holy Spirit not moved in and said, mm-mm-mm? You, you start thinking something, the Holy Spirit said, mm-mm. But it is that help that is inside that, that drives us. Paul says that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has a perfect will for my life. It is my responsibility to seek out that will, find out what that will is, and then do my best to do that will. God has a perfect will for your life. It is your job to seek out that will, to find what it is that God has for you, to desire, search after, long for, strive for that will, that God will make his will for your life known, but then is to live that will. It is every Christian's responsibility to seek out, search out God's will for our life. God's not going to give me your plan for your life. God's not going to give you his will for me to do. God may give each of us something to say to one another that may encourage, that may confirm. Anybody ever been, you feel like God's dealing with you on something and somebody said something to you, you go, just confirms what God's been telling me all day today. He may give us something to confirm those things in one another.
But he's not going to give his will to anybody else to give to you or give anybody else's to you to give to them. Just this week, somebody was talking to me about something. They were, they were talking about something that they wanted to do, and we, we were talking. They started telling me, and, and they, they were asking me, was it okay? That they, they, were, they were, you know, man, what, what do you think? And I said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You, you said God told you to do that. Yeah. I said, it don't make two cents what I think. If you think God told you to do that, whether or not I think it's going to work, don't make a hill of beans. It, it, it don't add up to a cat whisker, man. You have no reason to ask me anything about my opinion because it ain't none of my business. I, whether or not I think it'll work, whether or not I like it or don't like it, don't matter. If you start in the conversation somewhere and you say, here's what God told me to do, you need to quit talking to me and get busy. Because that's God's will for your life. He gave it to you. They don't even ask me what I think about it because he didn't tell me to tell you to do it. He, he told you to do it. So God has a perfect plan for each of our lives. He has a perfect will for you and I. Now, the devil knows that. And the devil, somebody go ahead and say amen if you believe that the devil will try to confuse you. The devil will try to get in the way. He'll try to say things to muddy the water. He'll try to cloud it up. If you're trying to do what you believe God gave you to do, he'll try to put stuff in the way. Stumbling stones, sticks in the path, wet places to make you slip. He'll try to get all up in there and mess it all up. But, but can I tell you something else the devil will do? He'll give you stuff to do that will sound just like God because he'll give you something biblical to do. What? The devil give me something big? Yeah, see, it don't have to be anything big. Just a little something if it sounds like it comes from the Bible. And it sounds like it's going to help somebody. And it sounds like it's got a pretty good two cents. The devil don't mind giving you that to do if it'll get you busy because that means you're busy doing something he gave you to do and not what God gave you to do. And that means you missed the will of God. You mean the devil give you stuff? To, oh, yeah. Devil do anything he can mess you up. And including putting, putting little stuff out, put little plug-ins. The devil will go to somebody else and say, you need to go tell them they need to do this and pull them in and get out. And it's just to do things to get us sidetracked away from the will of God because if we're doing anything other than God's perfect will, then we're out of line. Now, here's some things that you can know whether or not is God speaking to you or whether or not it's the devil giving you something. I don't know, just, just a little bit of things where you kind of weigh it in the balances. But if you can do it on your own, it's probably not from God. If it doesn't require you to be a little nervous, it's probably not from God. If it, if it is in your comfort zone and doesn't bother you to do it, yeah, that's probably not from God. If it doesn't pull you out of your comfort zone and push you into being something that you can't be alone so that you have to trust God to be in you what you can't be, if it doesn't push you to that, yeah, that, that's probably not from God. If it's not calling you to be more than you've already been, if it's not calling you up to the next level, that, that, that's probably not God. It is God's desire to work in us but to work through us and do mighty things through us. And, and it is God's desire to work through us and to do things bigger than we can do ourselves. Then you just look back and you know it wasn't anybody but God. Because you knew before you ever started you couldn't have done all that. It, it builds faith in us. 
It builds trust in us. It, it helps us learn to, to trust him in, in every situation, knowing that it is God that is with us, that it is God that is leading us and guiding us, and it's God that's working in us. If we truly are a Christian, and we truly do trust God, then if God gives us something to do, and, and we don't do it, we're no different than the children of Israel standing at the Jordan River when they were prepared to cross over into the promised land. But the spies saw the giants and said, we can't do anything about it. They're too big. And the children of Israel, God had already proven himself to them. Anybody listening? Before they ever left Egypt, God had already proven that there ain't no sea too big to divide. There ain't no king too big to overthrow. There ain't, there ain't nothing that I can't do. God had already done a multitude of plagues. God had proven himself to them time and time again. God had sprung water in the desert from the rock at Horeb when they were thirsty. God had shown them that he could provide manna from heaven every day. All you got to do is go out and it's like dew on the ground. I can feed you every morning. I can give you water in the wilderness. I can overthrow all powers around you. I can divide red seas. I can put a cloud over you by day and a fire by night to give you light. God had already shown them that he was able to do everything they needed. But yet when they came to the giant and they turned back, they were responsible because God had already shown them, I can take care of this. But they looked at the giants, and they saw the giant as bigger than God. They said, we can't overtake the giants. It ain't about what we can overtake. It's about whether or not we have faith in God. Israel's mistake was that they doubted what God had already proven. Therefore, it was inexcusable. So God brought judgment on them. God will always call you up. He's never going to call you back. He's not going to call you back down to the step you've already been on. He's not going to call you back to the place you've already been. God will always call you to the next level. That's why it always seems a little uncomfortable. That's why it always requires a little more faith. That's why it always seems like it's something we can't do. But a body that is truly surrendered, a body, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a body that is truly surrendered, filled with the Holy Spirit. God's next call is always going to be the next step up. God won't ever call you to go up a flight of stairs at one time, but he'll walk you up a flight of stairs one step at a time. God has a plan. It is to take each one of us as surrendered, willing vessels to take us to the place where he wants us. But he doesn't take us from here to here. He takes little steps each time along the way. It's our job to hear God's plan. It's our job to, to follow God's plan. We're never to turn back from God's plan. We're, we're never to turn a deaf ear to God's plan. We're, we're never to look at God and say, God, I can't do that. I don't know if that's politically correct or any other kind of correct. It might be okay to say, God, I can't do that. As long as it's followed by, but I know you can and you're with me, so I'm just going to go anyway. But to say I can and not go forward, we, we can't do those things. We, we're never to try to go beyond God's plan. 
Sometimes God gives somebody something to do and they start trying to make it bigger and something bigger. That's, that's called failure. When God gives you a plan, God gives you something to do, God gives you a time to do it. Anything outside that time frame is failure. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. God, when God sends you to go witness to somebody, the time is right now. He's already prepared their heart. You don't know what's happened that morning. You don't know what's going on in their world. You don't know what's going on in their life. You have no way to know the condition of their heart. But if God says go talk to them right now, tomorrow will not do. Tomorrow they've already gotten by. God gives us things to do. The time is now. See, all we can see is, is past experiences it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to us it doesn't matter if we understand it all it doesn't matter if we see where this is heading to God can see the past the present and the future so God knows how all this is going to work into his well-being and to work things for his good and for his glory God already knows how to work out our job is just to do it not one amen in the house. Sometimes it ain't even about us. I, I don't have time to preach that right now. But sometimes what God gives us to do is strictly for somebody else. God knows what it's going to do in our life. But then again, it may not have anything to do with ours. If God gave us something to do, God, God is so awesome God can give me something to do. He can give me something to do right here. And, and this is where I think it's at. And we're focused right here. And I, I think I'm doing what God said to do. But what I don't know is somebody over there watching, they're hearing every word. And, and I didn't know what it was about. And I thought it didn't work out because, man, it didn't go the way I did in our conversation. But what I didn't know is this person over here was sitting there hearing every word. And then they walked away and God had somebody else come out and start telling them about Jesus. And he used that to prime it. All I'm telling you is when God gives us something to do, a body that is truly surrendered and is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, we're just supposed to do what God gives us to do. When God guides, God provides. Psalms chapter 40, verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law within my heart that is the evidence of a body presented to God as a living sacrifice that is the evidence of a life not conformed to the things of the world that is the evidence of a renewed and a transformed mind to do the perfect will of God when we do God's will not only does it work in our relationship with God I told you I'd get there. We're barely going to make it in time. It works in our relationship with each other. When we're doing the will of God, it binds us together. Brothers and sisters, blood kin, bought with the same price, purchased and put into the same family. It works. John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. I know I give you all this about every three weeks, but it's okay. If it wasn't good, I wouldn't keep using it. That ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Another proof of a life 
presented to God a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, a proof that we have a renewed mind is evidenced in the love that we have for brothers and sisters in Christ. I almost lied a while ago because I said it's easy for us to love each other in here and, and different out there, but if that was true, you'd have to take both the Corinthian letters out because most of them are written about turmoil within the church. Half of what Paul deals with and half the letters in there is turmoil within the church, fighting amongst the Christians, people living wrong inside the church and bringing baggage into the church. We're supposed to love you and I uh, are supposed to love one another. When we became Christians, we entered into a new life. That ought to get an amen in the house. An, an eternal life. Everything is different. But, but we entered into a new plan. And in that, we entered into a new family. On the day we got saved, we all became kin. Children of the king. Isn't that awesome? I'll just stop and camp on that for a little bit. That'd be good to just close up, rejoice on a little while, and go home right there on that. We are all children of the King, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters with the Lamb of God, members of the body of Christ. It ought to be our heart's desire to be as one with each other. It ought to be our heart's desire. If we have a oneness with the Father, then we ought to have a oneness with one another. We, we ought to be in one accord. Verse number 3, he said, For I say through the grace given unto me, every man is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according, as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. We looked last week at how we're not to think too highly of ourselves, as though we've done anything by the same token, we're not supposed to look too low at ourselves either. It, it's not right for us to look in God to belittle the creation that God made and say, I can't do it. That's like saying, God, you didn't make me enough. So we're certainly not to set ourselves up, but we're not supposed to put ourselves down. The same when we look at brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not to, to build one another up and put one another on a pedestal as though they're high and mighty, but by the same token, we have no right to tear another one down. Well, you know, they do this and they don't do that, and there's no way God could use them to do anything. All that's hogwash. If God can use me, God can use anything. That, and that, that's our attitude. That's what we know. If God can find a way to, to use those of us in here, God's got to be able to find a way to use anything out there. He goes on. It says, for if we have many members in one body, all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. How many of you are right-handed? If you're right-handed, how many of you use your right hand for most of the things that you do? So if we're right-handed, then we don't need the left one, right? I mean, if we're, if we're right-handed and we use the right hand for most of the things that, that we do, then if we go to tie our shoe, then the left hand, it's going to be jealous of the right hand. It's not going to help out, right? Let, let me ask you, how many of you go to the soap dispenser? Little, wait a minute, you can't even do that because that's a hand helping another hand. You'd have to do it like this and do it like this and wash them like this and put them like this and do like this, but, but that's not the way the hands work. The left hand washes the right hand, and the right hand washes the left hand. 
How would it be if, if one body part says, well, he's right-handed. That's the one he uses most of the time, so I'm just not going to help out. He can just tie that tie himself. He can just figure out how to button that shirt himself. I know you can button a button with one hand, but it's a pain in the neck. That, that's why that one right there is unbuttoned. They just don't want to do right, and you can't get the other hand in there to help it, so sometimes it's easier to just cover it up than it is to button it. You, you know, just because I'm right-handed, that doesn't mean that my right hand's best at everything. I drive better with my left hand. My left hand is a more experienced driver. My left hand is used to carry an oversized load, 16 feet wide, 16 feet high, 110 feet long through downtown Atlanta traffic, down dirt roads, pig trails, anywhere it goes, because the right hand had to change gears. So the left one had to learn how to drive. So that means my left hand is a more experienced driver than my right hand. But that doesn't mean if I get in a tight, the right hand ain't going to help out. <laughs> Everything comes to the equation. So, so you're right-handed. How many of you in here walk on your hands? I don't mean you can walk on your hands. How many of you walk on your hands? Obviously, the feet are necessary. How many of you see through your nose? Smell through your ears? It takes every body part fitly working together to be everything that it is. If you want to, well, I want to use clipping my nails, for example, but you ladies wouldn't understand that because y'all get that did. Us, us men, the right hand has to do the left one. The left one has to do the right one. It, it, it's the body fitly joined together, working together. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. We, we, we ought to be one hand washing the other, pulling together. There's too much garbage goes on in the church, too much backbiting, too much cheap talk, too much stone throwing within the church. We are family, and that is dividing the church, and that weakens what we can do. It weakens the power of God because God says we're supposed to be one, like-minded, in one accord. Anybody in here ambidextrous? Anybody? Good. I don't feel so bad because I ain't either. I can't write chicken scratch with my left hand. I can't draw a circle. But that doesn't mean that my left hand is useless. That doesn't mean that I don't have to have it as part of my body. Well, y'all get the point. Paul says that every member has different talents. That's, that's what he's telling us here in this text. Every member has different talents and, and even has different purposes. Each one of us are members of the body. Christ has a designed purpose. There's a purpose for a fingernail. There, there's a purpose for eyelashes to keep trash out of the eye. No, nothing on the body is without a purpose or God wouldn't have put it there. That's why I protect your gallbladder. I don't know why they take those things out. If we didn't need it, God wouldn't have, God wouldn't have put it there. It's the same thing true in the church. We all have a place. We all have something to do. We, we are to work in one accord, and there is to be no jealousy among us. Why did it get so quiet in here? Somebody in here is a left hand, ain't you? You thinking the right hand is getting all the attention. I done made you mad. That right hand over there, they're always talking about the right hand. He's always getting to get in on everything. All I get to do is drive. 
rest of the time I'm just hanging on like a lamb. There, there can't be any of that within the church if we're going to accomplish the perfect will of God. Because just as God has a perfect will for each one of us, he has a perfect will in putting us together to accomplish something through us as the body. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. It only works perfectly when every member of the body is perfectly surrendered. And it all comes together as one. So that song, that's casting crowns, isn't it? It's got to start right here. It's got to start right in that casting crown. It's got to start right here. It's got to start right now. In order for God to accomplish his perfect will through Faith Baptist Church, it has to start with each one of us surrendering ourselves, opening every door of every closet, of every shelf, of every room. Say, God, I'm holding nothing back. It's all yours. I'm sold out for you. If it ain't from you, I don't want it, don't need it, don't want it around me, God. Help me to be everything you want me to be. And when each one of us strive towards that, then God's going to draw us closer together, and God will do amazing things in LaGrange, Georgia, and beyond through a little old church called Faith Baptist Church. God, thank you so much for being so good, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge, God. I pray will you help us. I pray you help us fulfill those five verses. I pray, God, you, you said in your word, you said, I beseech you, therefore. I beg you, I, I, I am imploring with you to beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Present our bodies a living sacrifice. Lord, help us to do your perfect will, God. Help us to surrender everything and hold nothing back help us to shun away from the things of the world help us to be not conformed into the image that this world tries to pull us in god help us father to be more like christ that the world may see christ in us and christ through us god we just want to please you lord we want to be used by you we want to see you do great and mighty things we want to be a light in a dark world you told us that you are the light of the world you put us here to be the salt of the earth to be the flavor to be the preservative of this planet god you put us here with a purpose god lord we're just coming to you right now and asking you help us god strengthen us that we might fulfill that purpose and be everything you want us to be we love you god it is our heart's desire to make you smile Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.